Hello and welcome to episode 201 of the Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Shane, here in Denver, Colorado, and with me on the line from Chicago, Illinois, it's the one and only godfather, Dave Harbarger. We're here again. <laughs> 201, <laughs> you thought we wouldn't make it, but here uh, it is. We keep, we keep doing this. We keep doing this to ourselves, and we're asking for it. It was a bit of a mental hurdle to be like, okay, we made it to 200. <laughs> now we're now we're going to go up to the next mountain. You know, it's like we climbed we climbed Everest, but now yeah. we're going to go climb K2 or whatever the one that's even harder than Everest. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, like me trying to do a 14er. You know, where it's like I can't, I can't do it. Yeah, it's too alpiney. Uh, but yeah, we're here. Episode 201. Unfortunately, obviously, we don't have Stanislav. It's the winter time, which means everyone just gets sick. Yeah. Stan's sick. My children are sick. I'm holding on. Somehow. My wife is sick. I think she's oh, no. becoming sick. I'm. I. I hope that I make it through this undoubtedly two-hour-long recording before I get sick. <laughs> this is one of those times where we're like, let's make this one quick. We just released a two and a two-hour, fifty-minute episode. Let's make this one like seventy-five minutes, and yeah. we have eleven pages of notes. Not going to happen. I guess half a page is some review, like a screenshot of the latest reviews. So that that helps out. So that's really just for our edification. We're not going to read those. It would be pretty wild if we got like 75% of the way through this episode and I just like disappeared and Shane was <laughs> alone. I'll just close it out, you know? Mm -hmm. But uh, so this week stands out. So that's sad. But Dave and I are going to talk a little bit about a variety. We're going to have a proper breakdown. We're going to talk about NRG Chicago, Chicagoland in Mundelein, Illinois. So there was a Pioneer event and a modern event. We're going to talk a little bit about the Pioneer 10K because we figure with all of the RC coverage you likely heard on all the other magic podcasts you listen to, you're probably a little RC'd out and it's a little, it's already, you know, past relevance. Yeah. And you might even be a little pioneered out. So we're going to talk mostly about modern, of course. Exactly. And for extra special reasons, if you didn't pay attention to the NRG Chicago that we'll talk about later. No spoilers. Yeah, no spoilers. We'll talk more about some of the newer deck developments that we are seeing happening from Brothers War, stuff we tested out. Are we going to sleeve believe heave these things, or are we going to save oh, that for new decks later? Because this is I really mean, like tech updates to existing decks using Brothers War in Modern. It's a real catchy title. SEO is going to go wild for that one. This is one of those ones where it's like testing the latest developments in... Yeah, if you want to put it like in one of our episode umbrellas. But before... We get to that, some housekeeping. We're doing some catch-up here. So we've got a bunch of pat new patrons, new citizens of the Dive Down Nation. We have Eris, Derek S, Mark S, no relation, I imagine, Chuck M, Zachary T, Martin B, and Breakfast Enjoyer. That's probably their given name. Breakfast T Enjoyer. So we have so many new citizens of the Dive Down Nation, including Breakfast Tea Enjoyer. I have to believe it's all because we hit episode 200. Everyone was just flocking in. They're like, they, they're, this, this is a legitimate podcast now. Yeah, they've been waiting. People have been waiting <laughs> 180 episodes to join the Patreon. And here we are. I think it was the spirit of Thanksgiving. I think it was that we released it, you know, a week after Thanksgiving. The turkey has yeah. gone cold. People are starting to think about the holidays. Let's yes. take care of the Dive Down boys. These rhino boys need stuff uh we have no increased tiers but with all the new pa patrons and new citizens thank you all we do have some reviews that we're also catching up on i'm going to start in reverse chronological order we have uh 
FF Freak 2787. Uh, thanks for the kind feedback. Stompy Dan says, it's perfect. The only way to improve would be daily and longer. I don't think it's going to happen, my friend, but thank you for this encouragement. Our significant others and our sanity would, would fail. Now, if we could get the stretch goal to, I don't know, $25,000 an episode, maybe then we could talk about doing it daily. <laughs> you need to make twenty. You need to make $25,000 a day. Not for you, just split three ways. <laughs> yeah. Except for when Stan's not here, then it's only split two ways. He doesn't need it. Yeah, yeah. I'll take I'll take a clean twelve five. Uh, we also have Spasegel. This is definitely this is one of my the wildest reviews. I mean, I don't even know how to get into it. But well, why don't we just read the title? The title says oh, yeah. three future divorced dudes killing it. And you know what? <laughs> I, I hope they're wrong about that. But we appreciate the stars. <laughs> we don't. We never know what tomorrow's going to bring. The, I mean, every every episode is a risk. You know, it's yeah. it's it's one more chip on the iceberg of marriage. Yeah, we're we're spending that relationship capital by being here with you folks, yeah. and we hope you appreciate it. And from these reviews, it feels like you do. And then finally, Jackson GS, I like this one. My favorite podcast. This is the essential podcast for the casual spike. Thank you so much. Couldn't say it any better. Wow, what's going on here? <laughs> What is happening here? Well, well, well. You thought a little COVID would keep me from recording with you guys? I think it was more of a hope. Stan, we did not we did not disclose what was going on with you. We just said you weren't here. Oh, well You're not feeling we well. Said, no, we well, we said we said it was winter and you were sick. Oh, yes. it's worse than that. I was on a plane and I caught COVID. I, I don't know if it was on the plane. I was I was in Europe. Yeah. You never know what the breathing happening over there is. A lot of mouth breathing, I've heard. That's what leads to it. And also, that's why you pronounce it COVID, because it's it's that European strain. Is that what it is? That's right, yeah. But I don't want to make too much light of it, because it's still a serious disease. But yeah, it's very serious. Yeah, no. So I felt like hell today. I, and I told the guys, I can't record. I can barely move. And then, no joke, I ate a bowl of, of mixed nuts, Kirkland Fancy Mixed Nuts, and maybe placebo, maybe I don't know what, but like I'm convinced the protein and the fat like gave me some energy and bounced me back. I'm hoping that I've really unlocked something here. Frankly, I don't know if I'll be able to stay the whole episode because uh, I kind of feel like okay. I'm on borrowed time, but because I, I got the second wind, figured why not join my two best friends? I appreciate it. We're going to do the breakdown first anyway, Stan, and that's your that's the Stan, the Stan zone, the Stanislav center, the I don't know what else to call it. So let's just quickly, let's finish up this housekeeping. Very good. All right. Let's talk about the ways you can support us and keep this boy healthy. If you want to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash the dive down and join our Patreon the way that those seven people did who have been holding out for two or three years, apparently and joined because of episode 200. We appreciate your support. You can find us there. If you would like to support us on manatraders.com, the rental service for magic online cards, we have a new code. It finally lines up with the number. It is the dive down 10. That is our new code to get 10% off your first two months of rental cards on manatraders.com. Magic online rental service, manatraders.com. We love you. I use it a lot this week. Still there. Works great. Barrister and Man, our shaving, skincare, grooming, cleaning partner, 
Will Barrister Man, longtime partner of the Dive Down Now. If you would like to get 15% off of your first order of Barrister and Man products, and we'll talk more about them later, it's the Dive Down 15. And then finally, we're going to talk about Energy Nerd Rage Gaming's great series here in a moment. But if you would like to get a discount on some paper cards, you can go to Nerd Rage Gaming and use code DIVE8 to get 8% off. Go help Norm and the team out there. Perfect. Thank you, Dave. So, as Dave mentioned, Nerd Rage Gaming, Paper Series, we have talked about them a number of times. They had another event in Chicagoland in Mundelein. I can't believe they had them so close together, but they are based out of Chicago, so this all makes sense. The, interestingly, they had a Pioneer 10K and a Modern 5K. The, the number of entrants for both of these was about the same. Like a, a hundred and I think there actually was more in the Modern 5K. Well, let's talk about why that might be. We're a week late here. It was Thanksgiving weekend. Okay, so it might be hard for people to get away for Saturday from their families on on a Saturday. I think they, I think they wanted the to. They were like, "Let's go." Yeah, I'm sure people wanted to, <laughs> but getting away on a Sunday to sneak in a sneaky modern tournament when your family's starting to head home, maybe one yeah. of us even managed to pull that off. We'll see in a minute. But anyway, so let's we're going to focus more, like we said, on the modern 5K. We're a little pioneered out on this pod, but let's just talk. Long story short, about the Pioneer 10K, there was surprisingly high win rates for uh, Abzan Greasefang and perhaps not so surprisingly for Selesnia Angels. They both came in strong at high 50% win rates. Mono Green made a little bit of a comeback after kind of the middling showing at all the RCs. That was in the high f- mid-50s. Uh, but it also fell to the fourth most popular deck, tied with Azorius Control in terms of representation. The most popular decks, uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, Rakdos Midrange, 21 copies, I believe, with about 140 people, so like f- almost 20% of the meta. Is it Phoenix was second, Mono White Humans was third, and as the aforementioned Azorius Control in fourth. These all had between 48 and 52% win rates, so you know everyone's planning for these decks, and it's Pioneer, so there's a lot of kind of you know power equity between these decks by and large. Karuga Fires also was more popular than expected. About 4% of the meta performed middling as well, about 49% win rate. Lotus Field. Surprising to me, people did not start picking up Lotus Field. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. As much as I don't want to see more Lotus Field floating around the meta, the way it performed in the RC, the way I think it's performing for people online right now, I'm really surprised that only three people brought it to the paper tournament. An exactly 50% win rate. I mean, it's only three people. We don't have a big sample size here. Uh, in the finals, let's just cut straight to that. We had Matthew Minier on Mono Green Devotion. They faced Theodore Jung on Rakdos Sacrifice, and Matthew won. Matthew's deck had two Lovestruck Beast in the main, a single Sky Sovereign in the main as well. Otherwise, it looked pretty stock. And then some spicy new wishboard options included transmogrifying wand which i don't believe i've seen it's not a new card it's a pretty interesting removal or kind of more of a um what a generous gift type effect yeah i mean it's been there a lot actually like it comes comes and goes yeah haywire might woodcaller automaton cityscape leveler and the stone brain all new cards from the brothers war uh matthew was either testing or decided that they liked that quite a bit so yeah that's what happened bono green devotion (laughs) <laughs> back from the dead uh it's like hey remember me i still own pioneer by and large so enjoy okay so that's pioneer pioneer thank you for that whirlwind tour through pioneer there I you can... go play whatever you want yeah exactly there's still lots of good decks in pioneer all right 
Let's talk about the modern 5K. I'm going to let Stan do it. talk about the, the modern 5K for a second because I think he has something to share with everybody. I won six six out of eight matches. You did win. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> there you go. Um, but you did win. You, you mean you were you were a big winner? Thank you. Yeah. No. How did you do at the modern 5K? You were there. Yeah, I uh, I played and I I finished in tenth place because uh, I went. That's amazing. Yeah. I won six and two. Number one horn dog. Yeah, I think there was a um, living end player in the top eight, so I wasn't the top content uh, cascader in the room. But uh, yeah, I, I horned off mm. pretty well. All told, that's not true. There was no there was no living end in the top eight. Oh, hmm. so I'm the top cascader again. Yeah, that's what I'm talking. You about. I think so. Again, well, Stan, why don't you tell us about the deck that you brought, and then we can talk about the meta and everything else. I'd love to hear about where, what you did, why. I mean, we know it was rhinos, but where are you at on rhinos right now? Seems good. Still, I don't think we're going to talk about the modern challenges. But as an aside, rhinos is in the finals of both modern challenges this weekend, and it won one of them. It was actually rhinos versus breach, or no, 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 it was rhinos versus prowess. I think both days, and they. Oh my gosh! Really? Oh, really? I, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I have brain fog. I don't know. Um, but uh, Arceus Dota did win Saturdays, though. I mean, they're like an extremely good Rhino player. Yeah. Best in the world. Yeah. And the, but Stan, what, what was your build like this time? So I played four color with Leyland Binding, of course. I mean, that's five color, right? Yeah. Technically, you, you can fetch a, a black source, but you're not casting any black spells. I guess it was, you know, the Leyland Binding version. My technology is really just in the sideboard. I played three Teferi instead of three Blood Moons, and otherwise, like, the sideboard looks like every other Teamer Rhino sideboard. I did play a couple Ardent Plea as well, since I had access to white. And I'm, I'm off Sign of Draco. I'm, I was playing for Brazen Borrower, and, and I was glad I did. I think everyone's off Scion now. Like, that's what I've been noticing, is, like, Scion was like, uh, that's cute, but it's not what we need. Yeah. Like we don't we don't need to beat down. We need the we need the right kind of interaction or more cascade spells. And I think we can talk about that kind of technology. We'll talk more about various ways to get more cascade spells in this episode. For sure. But that's super exciting, Stan. Tenth place. Yeah, it was I, I had some I had some some really great matches for me. Um I played against Creativity twice, didn't drop a game. Also never dropped a game against Scapeshift just makes me kind of even more convinced that these are really good matchups for for rhinos in general i had a win and in for the top eight actually um i was in seventh place going into round eight but i lost a burn in a nail biter it was game three even but they they burned me out they went bolt no spoilers but it turns out that the person who beat you in that round i believe actually won the whole tournament is that right that's true they did so that is correct so it was a good weekend for them. My only other loss during the day was Hammer. And I think I punted. I, m- I made a, a foolish mistake. I misused Fire Ice. Um, and and as, res- as a result, I got punished. And then afterwards, I was talking... So basically, I tried to use a fire on a creature land. What's their creature land called? Ink Moth Nexus? The Construct? No. Oh, yeah. Ink Moth Nexus. Yeah, yeah, they were on Ink Moth. And they had a hammer on it. and uh, Or no, they didn't have a hammer on it. They just swung with an Ink Moth and one mana up. And I'm like, I'm just going to try to fire hit. And they had a cigar to say it out. And they just responded with Colossus Hammer. But what my opponent told me after the fact that I didn't think through was if I had iced it down, any equipment on it automatically falls off. Right. Which... Which is interesting. Yeah, it turns back to a to a land, and then the equipment falls off of it, and then they can't re-equip it with Cigar Yeah. Oh man. Then they yeah, have to have steel. Feel, that had to feel bad. 
then they have to have Paladin. But I, that's still, buddy, that's that's a heck of a run. Right. And I did have a rematch against a different Hammer opponent on camera, and I won that round. So, yes. I think that was the one that really yeah, mattered. That was sweet. It was sweet to see you on camera. Yeah. Even in Doomwake was doing commentary for me and just like hearing a Rhino expert talk about my Rhino games was really fun and kind of like confirming some of my own sideboard decisions live. It was vindicating. Stan, I do want to talk about your mana base a little bit because I feel like I feel like it's extremely safe, and I'm curious how what your experience with it was. I'm, I'm sure, like because it, it feels so safe, I'm sure that it ended up feeling really good. But you're running a lot of shocks and more basics than I personally would expect. I mean, only one more basic. So you have the usual Steam Vents, Temple Garden, Breeding Pool, Stomping Ground, but you also added a Sacred Foundry. Yes. You have the Grixis and Obzon Triumphs, of course, but then you also have the basic forest, island, but also a plains, because I guess you just do not want to get caught out not having access to uh, Leyline Binding if someone, I guess, does some weird land destruction on you. Yeah, or just being able to like sometimes fetch the plains for Arden Plea is also fine, but Leyline Binding is definitely the big one there. What, what do you fetch on that with? Flooded? Is that with like, do you have flooded strands? Yeah. Yeah, I have four flooded, four okay. misty, four wooded foothills, and against Got it. and against decks like scam, yeah, so I mean, like you just have to fetch basics aggressively anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. Um, I I also played a five color rhinos at the LGS this week, and I mean I did equally as well. I mean I went three zero. That's just that's that's almost like six two. Oh yeah, dude. But um, at an LGS event, but yeah, I'm doing we're doing similar things in our main deck for sure. Like I I I really liked having. 10 cascade effects and i ran two ardent pleas as well for us to give it to get us up to 10 that density i think feels better because you just have them more often how'd you like it yeah no i i thought it was excellent for that reason as well also just the exalted on ardent plea was weirdly relevant sometimes it's um Hmm. you know i played against a jeskai breach opponent who was able to prismatic ending my rhino or one of my two rhinos and then my other one was just beating for five there are other times where an opponent would actually answer both rhinos and then i would just uh beat face for four with brazen borrower so it's not uh the best reason to play that that card i'm i'm just fine just sticking to two for now but you know it, it has some extra utility the fact that it also pitches to force negation is not irrelevant makes it a little less painful than when you're on teamer and you only have the eight cascade effects and you have to like every once in a while pitch a force negation to or a, a shard list to force negation or a violent outburst of fury and then you have to top deck a cascade spell having those extra ardent please makes those decisions a little easier as well yeah awesome let's talk about the overall metagame for a second i suppose uh, i think this shows the evolving continuing evolving paper meta at least in the nrg circuit we've got uh, Jeskai Breach at 8.8% of the meta. I'm sorry, what? Jeskai Breach at 8.8% of the meta. Wow, the energy the meta is real. I feel like that is such a, like, because there are so many good players who love it here. I'm so surprised. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, someone was playing it in my LGS this week as well. I think it's it's like we talked about. Like, the technology is becoming, I guess, more accessible. People are understanding the deck better. They're not as afraid of it. And people are just picking it up because it's, you know, essentially an evolution of... It's sort of an evolution of Merktide in some way. Yeah. And also, you know, Mox Amber reprinted aggressively in Brothers War. So, there yeah. you go. We have... Is it Merktide next up at 8.1%? 
oh, I guess I should mention Drexcott Breach had a 53% win rate. Uh, is it Merktide at 8% of the meta, 45.6, a very is it Merktide win rate. Azorius Hammer up next, also at 8% with a 55.1% win rate. Rakdos Scam at fourth place with 7.4% of the meta, a 63% win rate. Ooh, doggy for scam. Uh, Burn and Five Color Blink featuring Yorian uh, both had 10 copies or 6.8%. Burn was at 55% win rate and Blink was at 38.3%. Did you just say featuring Yorian? Did someone cheat? Or was it a Kahira deck? Or just the- featuring Kahira? <laughs> was that muscle memory? <laughs> I think it was. The uh, Yeah, but Blink only 38.3% win rate, my goodness. So maybe this is not as good as we anticipated. Uh, up next, Five Color Creativity, 5.4% with a 45% win rate. Up Ooh, next. All, the, all the, the decks are of the previous meta are starting to fall away. Yeah. Speaking of previous metas, we have Azorius Control and Merfolk, at both at 4% or six people each. Uh, Azorius Control finished at 42.9% and the Fish Friends at 36.8%. I it's I'm I checked these. They were in fact Merfolk decks. Six people brought fish to this tournament. It is true. Five color zoo, five copies, three and a half percent, forty-two point three percent win rate. I will mention we did see some five color zoo showing up in, I believe, Sunday's challenge. So who knows? If it's good, is it bad? Apparently it's fun and it does play wild to coddle. Rhinos up next. There were two five color and two teamer. The teamer both had main deck Blood Moon, so it's just kind of a full pivot where it's like, hey, if I'm not doing five color, I'm going to Blood Moon you. Living end also uh, four copies, so two to two point seven percent. Rhinos was at fifty five and a half percent. Living end at fifty four point two percent. Let's go Cascade, and then sixty eight decks at two percent or below, or about forty five and a half percent of the meta. So pretty diverse meta overall. Our, the top deck was still below 9% of the meta, not like 15 to 20% like we've seen from time to time. I'm pretty sure this is the first time that we've seen Jeskai Breach as the number one meta deck at a tournament. Yes, for sure. Right. The prophecies has been fulfilled. Yep, here it is. Let's go through our top eight, celebrate the winners. We had Adam Weiss, Tournament Killer, Dream Crusher for Stanislav on Boros Burn. Uh, only three Rift Bolt in this version, Wild Person, Adam. We had uh, Jebediah is the name given on Melee on Rakdos Scam in second place. An interesting build seems to combine some scam concepts and some goblin bombardment stuff. We had a total of only five Undying Effects, so two Malachi Rebirth, an Undying Evil, an Undying Malice, and a Fain Death. But also this deck features Unlucky Witness, Mayhem Devil, three Village Rites, and a playset of Goblin Bombardment. Wow. So kind of, you know, just, just, I guess, going for stuff. I don't really know how it's making enough creatures, honestly, to like really use Bombardment. So, I don't know. Cool deck. Will Kruger, third place, and Azorius Hammer. So, yes, Will did what Will does, win with Azorius Hammer. Guy Scott, also an Azorius Hammer. These are pretty normal-looking Azorius builds. John Wager, fifth place on Jeskai Breach. The white is just splashing for a few sideboard cards, really, like Wear Tear and maybe like a, like a Teferi or two. Joe Lissette. ending, as, as Stan mentioned, comes up occasionally. Yeah. Joe Lissette, sixth place. A uh, frequent NRG commentator decided to play this one. Mono Green Tron, as Joe Lissette does. Classic stuff from Joe here. Basically, no new cards on the main deck. Very classic Green Tron. Um, the only new sideboard wish card I saw was the Stone Brain. And other than that, this is like 
February 2022's version with like after Boseju got printed. What do you guys think the stone brain is 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 being used for right now in modern? Just like against breach, maybe uh, necromancy can... effect, I think. But like you can you can use it game one. <laughs> you can use it against, and it's just like is it yeah. because if there's like you hit creativities or archons, you can hit underworld breaches, right? It's just like it's just good. Sure. Yeah, you take away crashing footfalls from somebody if you move fast enough or disrupt them enough. I mean, I think that there's a lot of things in modern that are payoff based like this and so it's possible to just take their strategy out and make them go to plan b yeah i think that's fair seventh place adam and hawthorne on azorius hammer looks like azorius hammer and then that's three by yes, the way in the three. top eight that's three azorius hammer builds in the top eight and adam's the person who came in second uh wow fascinating yeah. hammer hammer had a big showing for only having medium well no actually having really good results in the wider meta too with 55 percent win rate never sleep on hammer especially in the hands of i think good players uh you can extremely sleep on hammer in the hands of bad players as we will talk about a little bit later (laughs) but later but eighth place uh zaros is the name given on melee rakdos scam traditional scam build interestingly had two copies of ob nixilis the adversary and the sideboard why not Interesting card. The finals uh, featured Adam Weiss on Boros Burn, Adam Hawthorne on Azorius Hammer, the dueling Adams. Uh, Weiss came out on top, as we mentioned. But most importantly, Stanislav finished 10th place with, with Rhinos. The Horn Dogs continue to trample. Good work, Stan. You, you're the real winner here. Awooga. I don't feel like a winner right now. No, but you look like one. Thank you. Yeah, that um, guy Scott was actually that Hammer player who beat me, who was then graciously like, you should just ice my land. And I was like, you're right. Lesson learned. Guy Scott. He also, his playmat was a piece of rug. It was like a, like a, like a rug. That is really funny. It's amazing. To, I mean, it's a big day too. Like a carpet sample? Yeah, it was it, literally, it was a carpet sample. <laughs> it's a big day too, though, Stan, where both people that beat you in the tournament are in the top eight. That's how you know. I mean, you, that happens when you have a, a good run, of course, but that's amazing to, to look at that and go, wow, I, I lost the two people who top aided one person that won the tournament. That's good stuff. Yeah, I mean, it inspired me to get out to the LGS. I mean, I, I went with a uh, friend of the show, citizen of the nation, uh, Spencer, and we had a good little time over at Mythic Games. So shout out to Mythic for still existing and having a good crew of people. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, Hammer's still fun. Excuse me. Rhinos are still fun. I imagine Hammer's fun too, but for me... Let's just not, crash. Not the if you're footballs. terrible at it, we'll talk about that yeah. in a little bit. <laughs> I like I like these hints you're dropping, Dave. Uh, overall thoughts on this, my friends. Breaches, breaches, certainly gaining popularity. That's kind of obvious. I love it. There's four decks in the, in this meta that I have been playing lately. Hammer, Scam. I would like to play Breach, Murktide. There's all kinds of decks in here that I like. Should we do a Breach deck dive next week? Should I put us on record? Maybe next week is the time. Yeah. Stanislav, you you just you just caught the COVID. Wait till you see how you feel like in a day or two before you promise anything related to next week. I was I was just zonked for like six days. It was terrible. But Dave, you mentioned scam. The win rate here is pretty bonkers, like sixty two percent for like a decent representation of the deck as well. I, I I've definitely seen people just be like, okay, now I'm sick of the grief yeah combo I'm, I'm this deck is annoying i mean this is when i'm i'm packing leyline of sanctities in my board now like i've got three helps against burn helps against random thoughtsies decks helps against scam yeah i think that's pretty smart wow i kind of feel like i should start doing that too especially in a deck that now in has a, in access a white to white mana and an lgs meta yeah and and if, now that you have access to white mana like 
if you are able to delay the games a little bit, you can even cast it now, which you could never do in Teamer. I mean, yeah, I mean, it can, that can help you off for sure. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, people are into scam. I think that scam is doing what people want to be doing if they want to be thought seizing people, more or less. And so, you know, plan plan accordingly. I think Hammer is still really good. I think, like, it's just there was that period of time when I think Hammer's, the respect for Hammer was dipping and people were like, oh, there's no Luris. The, the mind, the, the reality chip is just adequate, but like Hammer's still really good and it's going to catch you out. Most of these lists are not running the reality chip anymore. I would just yeah, like it's just to gone. say it's just yeah. gone. Yeah, they're mostly Azorius in order to play Spell Pierce and a few sideboard cards yeah. like Lavinia and stuff like that, depending on what people, how people are attacking. Yeah, yeah. but Manalik. reality chip. Uh, yeah, Mana Leak in the list that I was messing around with last week, but I like Will, I don't believe has that. He's really just playing Spell Pierce, which is great. Spell Pierce is an amazing card in modern, and go for it. And ultimately, this was Burns' tournament. I mean, finally, like, you know, it wasn't just one person doing well, like 55% win rates for, for Burn, and it won the whole thing. So some days, the NRG is a real Burn meta. Do you think people are now Mundelein going to... is a real Burn meta. Yeah, I heard that actually. Well, I heard someone say that in earnest while I was over there. But do you think now is the time to start? That's funny. To start cutting a rift bolt? Is is this the three rift bolt metagame? We'll talk about that on our burn deck dive in a couple of weeks. <laughs> All right, what's next for energy? So I believe that we are coming up on the final tournament of the year. We're definitely coming up on the final tournament of the calendar year for energy in Louisville this weekend. So if you can go if you're in the area if you like paper magic and you want to do it it is a modern 10k with a pioneer 5k on sunday so the modern is on saturday the pioneer is on sunday lots of interesting things going on here but the biggest one is that the player of the year race is coming down to the very end you might have seen some people talking about this on twitter and two friends of the show and one potential friend of the show get at us connor if you're listening are in the race right now. We have Connor Mullally in first place with 168 points, Zach Allen with 162, Jesse Robkin with 156, all of them very much in striking distance if they have a good tournament this weekend or good tournament and good trial this weekend to be able to close out the year as the points leader and become the player of the year. Honestly, there's a bunch of people right behind them even as well. Piper Powell is there, Andrew Ellenbogen, Jill Bernal, and even a few other people are possibly with a really good finish could be able to take that kind of points leader crown as well so energy louisville watch it this weekend go if you can please support our friends at nerd rage gaming who are doing what they can to bring paper magic back to life for all for america mostly for the midwest but for america (laughs) and uh yeah check it out it's been fun covering this tournament this year we hope to do it more next year and I don't know if you all saw, but there's a new um, paper tournament series being launched on the West Coast as well by Laughing Dragon Games. Ooh. It'll be Ooh. interesting to see if they can really get a circuit, a similar energy style circuit going on up, up on the West Coast. Because, um, yeah, it'd be great to see some more people get some more regional stuff in here that maybe we could talk about on a weekly basis. It's always more fun to talk about these tournaments. As much as we love Magic Online, the paper tournaments are a little bit more fun to talk about. So For sure. So good luck, all y'all. Stanislav, good luck to you. Thanks in your in your coming Rhino events. Appreciate it. Stan, are you coming back with us? You gonna you gonna bounce after the break? How are you feeling? I, I still have a little juice. 
in my gas tank. Cool. Well, speaking of juice in the gas tank, uh, we're going to take a quick break. <laughs> I don't know how that's relevant, but I'm just trying to make it. I'm going to roll with it. We're going to go get some more juice to put in the gas tank. Oh, perfect. Stay with us. Hey, friends. It's me, your local gray-bearded Santa Claus and... <laughs> impersonator. That's what I was going to say. Oh. I just was stopping by to see if you had anything you could share with me about beard and grooming care this season as my hair gets drier and my skin gets drier and I want to smell better. Well, Santa, I'm sure your elves are overworked, but we have our friend Will, who is doing all the work for you. You should be gifting soaps, uh, shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more to the people that have been on your good list and, and maybe people on the naughty list who had time to repent. Is there one that smells like coal? <laughs> I, I have something perhaps even better because coal is, 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 a, is a dirty, polluting energy source. And Barrister and Man has just released Atomic Holiday. Okay. So this is, this is very well Santa. It's all about thinking about atomic energy. December 1942, Enrico Fermi changed the world, made successfully tested the first man-made nuclear reactor, and to pay homage to this achievement, it's this scientific milestone, uh, clean, perfect, never-failing atomic energy, the 80th anniversary of Fermi's experiment. We have a this, this sounds dope, okay? Pineapple, lime, bergamot, labdanum, and ozone. Atomic Holiday is optimistic, bright, and cheery fragrance for the darkest winter nights. Yeah, it's just beautiful. I love it. I, uh, so there's what? There's the shaving soaps. There's the shaving soap samples. I believe there is a splash. There's all the things. So, yeah, I mean, you could you can now get atomic energy in your stocking instead of Sounds cold. amazing. I have atomic energy in my sleigh these days. <laughs> uh, additionally, another uh, new release is the Fougère Classique. This is based on, one again, one of those formula resurrections of the legendary Fougère Royale. It's floral, opulent, lavender, oak moss, coumarin. I don't even know what that is. I'm sure it smells delightful. Bergamot, geranium, jasmine, uh, lang lang, benzoin, lavendum, patchouli, heliotrope, musk, and vanilla. So if you want to smell like literally everything in Will's... Sam is pretty sure you only pronounced a few of those words correctly. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, ho, ho, yeah, this... ho. <laughs> so it's uh, the quote here. If God have, had, had give ferns a scent, they would smell like Fougère Royale. So that sounds dope. You want to smell like a fern? Get this. I do. That sounds great. What, what What's up with the existential question of if there had been a smell for ferns, they would smell like this. That's a good point. Ferns have a smell. Do they? I don't know. Paul, it's more Paul like Parquet this... thinks this smells better than a fern. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of things smell better than a fern, including every single fragrance from Barrister and Man. Check them out. Use the code THEDIVEDOWN15 if you would like to get 15% off your first order. And, uh, you know, if you, this is a repeat order for you, leave a little note in there. Let them know that the Dive Down sent you. We appreciate your support. All right, we're back. It's time for us to hop into some new Our decks. nuclear-powered sleighs. Hop in your nuclear-powered sleigh and come with us to the dive down where we're going to talk about tech and new decks made possible by the Brothers War, specifically in Modern this week. Maybe we'll see what happens in other formats going forward. We are close to losing 
Stan, our sick boy. Stan, but you've been playing a pretty cool deck that I think people have been talking about on Twitter. I'd love to hear what it was like for you. What have you been doing? Sure. I, what have you been doing? I fired up Aspiring Spikes Shape a New Deck featuring Portal to Phyrexia from Brothers War. Okay. I should read what some of these cards actually do because... Yes. What is Shape a New? Is that like, is that like a transmogrify thing? So Shape a New is... Three in the blue for a sorcery. The controller of target artifacts sacrifices it, then reveals cards from the top of their library until they reveal an artifact card. That player puts that card onto the battlefield, shuffles all other cards revealed this way into their library. So that's Shape Anew. Portal to Phyrexia is a nine mana artifact from Brothers War. And it reads, when Portal to Phyrexia enters the battlefield, each opponent sacks three creatures at the beginning of your upkeep, put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. It's a Phyrexian in addition to its other wow. creature types. So I think I, so I think that's pretty is, self-explanatory. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, is this deck list the one that sort of Spike was using that has a lot of cr- like evoke creatures or creatures that you can bring back into play from your graveyard? So it's kind of doing like sort of like the seance thing, except for the creatures get to stay forever, which is pretty cool. So you're maximizing comes into play abilities, right? Yes. So the creatures you're referring to are Muldrifter. He was running four along with two Avalanche Riders and four Fury. Um, And the ways you're making, the the only ways you can make artifacts here are either with Ragavan Nimble Puffer or with Gingerbread Cabins, which is that that non-basic forest from Eldraine that creates a food when you control three other forests. The only other mm. playable creature land. <laughs> yeah. Gingerbread cabins. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So it's similar to Dwarven Mine, right? Where you're kind of like, I'm going to get something, make a token with a land because yes. I can go fetch it. And then I'm going to shape a new it into Portal Phyrexia. Exactly. Yeah. And I think like the constraints you're putting on your own deck are a little bit more manageable because with... The creativity decks, you were very limited in the type of creatures you could play because you needed your creativity to always hit Archons, right? Here, you just don't put any other artifacts into your deck except Portal to Phyrexia. And then if it hits the board as early as turn four, usually that's a board wipe, which is what I found to be like the coolest thing about it. But also, you have such an inevitability because you can get creatures from any graveyard. Yes, you can get your Drifters and your Avalanche Riders and Furies, but if your opponent had a good creature, like an Omnath even, you can just get that. The The low end of the deck also has your standard package of four Ren and Six, four Ragavan, four Lightning Bolt, as well as a few Explore and Spell Pierce, just to sort of keep your head above water in the early game and, and try to get to that fourth land drop as quickly as possible with Explore. So got any fire and ice in there? Is it packing fire and ice too or no? No. No. Okay. Maybe it should. Not all the tempo cards then. Yeah. I will say this. I mean every deck should. This deck is fine. The comparison was good. It's just another Ragavan Renin Six deck where if you have mm. like a big flashy top end, it's going to do the thing some number of the times. Other other times like your Ragavan kind of takes over. Other times, Brennan Six just kind of takes over the game. It's it's hard to really go into detail about like what makes this deck special. It, like it, in a way, it's maybe a little harder to hate out, short of having like a counter spell for Shape Anew. But if you can't get to Portal of mm-hmm. Phyrexia, or rather, like if you can't cheat it in, because your spells are so dinky and like your Moldrifters are usually getting evoked, 
there are a couple of games where I was able to just get to nine mana. And Ragavan and Explore helped with that. And then Run and Six made sure that I hit all my land drops. And then at that point, like Gingerbread or Gingerbread Cabin or whatever that thing is called, it was just like gaining me life against a burn deck just to keep me, you know, <laughs> in the game long enough to actually eventually land a fury or something. So I think this deck is fine. I think it's going to be more of a meme than a contender because it doesn't necessarily feel like it's doing like something more broken than creativity. But Portal to Phyrexia is a card that I think is really good, but for its mana cost. And you sort of have to cheat it in, but like coming down and instantly killing three and then just basically always sticking around and making sure you're putting pressure on the board every single turn was huge. Especially if that pressure you're putting down is Mold Drifter, so then you're like drawing more gas as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, there's a reason that that card has suddenly spiked up to be like 30 bucks recently, because I think it's just such a good search target for, or cheaty target for formats like Modern and, and things like that. that I th- and even maybe Pioneer, I think people are going to be really looking into how to make that card go. So even if this deck doesn't work now, for whatever reason, I think there's a good chance that it will work later in some form or another, once there's a core or a metagame that really makes a lot of sense for Portal to be the perfect payoff for the moment. Yeah, the, the thing that's just never, was never very clear to me was whether, like, Portal's a better payoff than actual Archon. You know, like, Archon sometimes, yeah. like, just wins on the spot. There's no crackback. With Portal, like, you can have a theoretical crackback. Yeah, nothing, nothing as harsh as a theoretical crackback. I mean, people are really experimenting with new Archon builds as well. Right now, you know, there's a lot, we're not going to talk about these today, but that bitter reunion or bitter resentment card that lets you cathartic reunion and then keep it around until you want to give something haste. I've definitely seen people trying to make um, Archon come into play and then also give it haste. So they just get an incredible amount of triggers uh, right now. So I think that there's a lot going on based on Brothers War with cheating these giant cards into play, using them, some of the enablers in there and even some of the payoffs in Portable to Phyrexia. Cool. So I'll give it a I believe. I play this deck. Yeah, no, this is not a Shane believe. deck. I don't think it's a me deck either, but I will definitely keep an eye on it. I think this is like, it has the trappings of a deck that can steal some 5-0s because it has some good cards in it and can like surprise opponents and can maybe even like top 30 to a modern challenge. I don't necessarily see it be, being a powerhouse in its current iteration, but I think there's something to, to believe in it. So I'll, gi- I'll give it a B for belief. This will be like the deck you go you go up against like round two of like your next like six round art like RCQ and you're like, oh, I was not prepared for shape anew. Exactly. All right, guys, I I gotta go. I've, go rest. I've I've reached my limit. Yep. I can only talk about myself for so long, but I'm glad I I'm glad I got to surprise you. I'm I'm excited to hear the rest of the episode. It was a wonderful surprise. We appreciate it. It's good to good to see you. Hope you feel better soon. Get some rest. Bye. It takes two to make a thing go right. <laughs> All right. Is he gone? It takes two to make it out of sight. Is he gone? Yeah, he's gone. He went boop. Next deck we want to talk about. Let's talk about the one that I've been hinting a lot about, yeah. which is that, you know, I talked a couple of weeks ago about how I was thinking about picking up Hammer and trying out some new Brothers War cards seemed to be an opportunity to play what's probably a really bad version of Hammer, but it was pretty interesting. And that would be basically mono white hammer with a little bit of blue cards in the sideboard but with diabolic intent okay main deck diabolic intent shane what do you think about that just as a title okay 
Are you surprised by this idea? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm immediately looking at what extra creatures this deck is running, and I don't see any extra creatures. In fact, I, see, I, extra I see fewer than I might suspect. Yeah, we're not running extra creatures for this. Yeah, you're just, I guess you're just killing stuff. Just to remind you what Diabolic Intent does is that it is Demonic Tutor, but you have to sacrifice a creature when you cast it. That's it. Two, ma- two CMC, Tutor something up. Here's what made me interested in it. So I've been interested in playing Hammer. I've been messing around with it a little bit. Hammer struggles, at least in my opinion, from the outside as someone who's just starting to learn how to play Hammer. Hammer struggles with getting the right pieces of their combo at the right time, right? There's several different things going on in Hammer. Synergistic pairs. It already runs tutors occasionally in the um, form of Steel Shaper's gift, but we have great tutors that get Hammer already. The problem is you don't really have great tutors that get your equippers, you don't have great tutors that get Sigarda's aid or that gets get uh, Pure Steel Paladin, either one of those. So having something that can get you whatever combo piece at the right time that you want was kind of appealing to me on its face. Okay, and I saw a couple people using it. The list that I found uh, is by a player named L Plants in a challenge from November 28th. Uh, I saw a few other people trying similar Esper-esque builds where, you know, we got a couple Diabolic Intent main, and then kind of normal stuff in the sideboard. L Plants was playing three Diabolic Intent. I tweaked their list a little bit and only played two, because I felt like maybe that was too many to start out with. That's a lot. I also think, what, three? Yeah. Yeah. I guess you want to see one, though. Yes. I also think that one of the things that's, that's interesting about this is that without Luris, now this is weird because Tutor is certainly card disadvantage, right? But given that there are sometimes creatures that you draw in hammer at the wrong times too late in the game, for example, when they don't matter anymore, think Esper Sentinel or occasionally something like an extra zero creature, like an extra Memnite or an Ornithopter, you know, being able to grab whatever piece you need in the mid game when you have some extra mana around a la Luris, sort of, is kind of what I think the best version of Diabolic Intent is supposed to be. I don't think it necessarily helps you combo the first time, but helping you recover after you've been interacted with to try to close out a second version of your combo. Like, if they kill your equipper, then you can go get a new equipper. If they kill your hammer, then you can go get a new hammer quickly. If you just need something else to change the direction you're going, maybe you want to go get Stoneforge Mystic or something like that. I think that's a cool tool to have in this deck. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so what do you? Yeah, I'm looking at this, and I I feel like this is an interesting concept where it's like this player is adding diabolic intent, but making almost no other changes to the deck to like truly support diabolic intent. Well, I don't think it has to be supported necessarily, but the sacrifice is the deck slots, right? And so what you don't get to play with diabolic intent is you don't have you don't get to play. There's no room for spell pierce anymore yeah main or like thoughts if you're doing like some kind of orzov build or something like that right so you're not really changing most of the deck you might be doing something like playing more giver of runes for example so you have protection in the form of creatures instead of in the form of spells or stack-based interaction like you do in spell pierce so running three giver of runes gives you an extra creature you know you got a ginger brute in here that i don't think is in every list all the time right now but it, I found I think Ginger Brute's good, so I'm a little surprised. But that's kind of the deal. I, I don't really think you have to go out of your way to support the card. It's just a question of if it's 
good, I think. Yeah. I mean, the reason I'm saying that is because like we still only do have two Memnite. We have four Ornithopter. And so we you know, you're making room for the ginger brood and maybe like some like a third giver of runes, but like you know, still only twenty two creatures here. So you're really hoping to like stick a creature that perhaps matters or diabolicking diabolic intenting up uh, like, you know, your Sigarda's aid or something like that. Or if you're really running low on, uh, Urza sagas to get your Colossus hammer. So I just feel like, I, I feel like I would want like more fodder, but perhaps I'm kind of overestimating how much fodder one actually needs. And I'm hoping Dave, you can tell me about your experiences using Diabolic Intent. Yeah. My experience is that you don't need more fodder. Okay. I do think there's a lot of fodder in this deck. And for, for reference, I'm looking at Will Kruger's list from energy right now. He only had 20 creatures in his deck. Um, I'm looking at another person who went 3-1 in a prelim. They only had 19 creatures in your in their deck. So I think that having 22 creatures actually is a little bit on the high side for Hammer as far as things go. So anyway, that's fodder, yeah. Um, yeah. And like I said, I there weren't a lot of moments where I didn't have a creature I could sacrifice for it unless I was already losing the game. And I think that's part of what the problem with this is, is that there are a lot of times where the card felt amazing. You know, being able to go drop an Esper Sentinel on turn one and then the next turn maybe kill your Esper Sentinel and or drop an Ornithopter, kill it with Diabolic Intent, have your Esper Sentinel still sitting there. And then the following turn, be sure that you're going to go hammer Sigarda's aid or tutor up whichever half of that that you needed was pretty amazing. And then conversely, being able to go at a different point in time and be like, okay, I'm going to go look for, now I'm going to look instead for Pure Seal Paladin, or I'm going to go look instead for, you know, one time I was on the Urza Saga plan and I used Diabolic Intent to go get another Urza Saga so I could keep making more constructs. Even though that was a little slow, it still enabled me to be able to follow the game plan that was making the most sense in the in the game that I was playing. I gotta say, I feel like the piece that I want in this deck is Core Outfitter. Like, I'm really surprised there's no Core Outfitter to tutor up. Like, where you're like, I don't have three artifacts, so Pure Seal Paladin's not going to do what I want, but I have mm-hmm. I have one hammer and maybe one creature, and I can go get Core Outfitter and equip the hammer to something, or equip it to the Outfitter, and you don't right. need a lot of pieces there. It's sort of like a real, real good fail-safe. Yeah, I like that idea, actually. At first, I was kind of like, why would you do that? Because Diabolic Intent makes sure you get your best equippers whenever, but what you just described is being able to sacrifice a creature that you can't equip to to go get core outfitter to equip hammer to it itself. Yes. Makes makes sense. I think I I like that as a as a game plan. It might be worth it. There are just a lot of times though where it felt to me like having a spell that I needed to cast for 2 CMC was really mucking up the works in hammer. And so I'm not sure, you know, I haven't played this enough because on the one hand, most of the payoffs you're getting with Diabolic Intent only cost one mana, either Colossus Hammer or Sigarda's Aid are kind of like what you're planning to search. And that's great. But a lot of times having enough mana to really pull this off, especially in the early game, felt like it wasn't good. And that's part of the reason that I really felt like I wanted to only have two of these in the deck when I was playing, because it's more of a 
about the mid game and about recovery, I think, than it is about making sure that you combo off really fast off the top. It's kind of how I feel about it, which is weird because it looks like when you first do it that you're like, oh, I'm going to guarantee that I'm going to curve into my hammer combo every single time. And I, I don't think that it's really best at that. Yeah. Yeah. This feels like a, a grindy thing where it's like, I. I have a lot of pieces and frequently what hammer does is put those pieces together, but this is sort of like things aren't coming together exactly as I need. Or like you said, they, they wear tear away or they, you know, force a vigor away by cigar to aid. And I need to go figure out, you know, backup plan here. Yeah. So all in my experience with this card and hammer, I would give it a maybe, like I said, I would give it a believe minus. Like, let's call it a believe minus for as far Classic. as our scales go. Yeah, I think that maybe there's some day where you want this because the meta's gone a certain way, but it feels like the blue stuff is so much better and cheaper and easier to use that I would probably just stick with the... I mean, the other evidence is like, a lot of people are looking at this deck right now and nobody is picking up this tech seriously. Even, you know, none of the decks that we saw in Energy had it. It's not really picking up steam in the challenges or the prelims. I think it's a cool tweak on a deck that's already really good, but I don't think it's going to win out over the long run. So that's why I would call it a believe minus. As an aside, Hammer is really hard to play, I think. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not easy. It's definitely not easy. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be easy, and then you're just like, oh my god, what do these cards even do? What do these cards do when I don't have anything for them to do? I mean, there's a lot of like timing things. There's, I mean, I think it's one of those decks, like when I was playing Infect as like a fairly new modern player, you know, I was definitely not great at it. It's like, you know, I'm good at the things that they come together, where it's like, hey, uh, turn two, you know, Might of Alcrosa, Might of Alcrosa, dead something like that but like yeah with in the long games where your opponent has interaction and they're they they're packing the force of vigors or they're they have the bounce spells they have the interaction and you're like well how do i you know they have the autowaras or something like that you're like well how do i maximize my games that i'm winning in the face of all this and that's really i think what separates the the good players from the the, the players like myself and I think it's just a lot of reps to like figure out how you do you juke in those situations, right? Yeah, I also think this has the classic problem of like a combo-ish deck when you're sideboarding, knowing what cards you can take out and leave in uh, to be able to behave the way you want to in games two and three. That it's hard too because it feels like every piece in here is essential to do something. But I'm gonna keep going for it. I really like having an Urza Saga deck in my arsenal i think it's still a great card in the format i think everything in this deck is really interesting it's nice to have a, a deck that i can just have in a box and not really take any of the pieces out because yeah that's a that's a good part of, of of hammer for sure right they're not used in a lot of other things so i um I, i'm gonna keep trying it but uh, for now i'm going back to blue white to learn more all right so like you mentioned new tech that people might not be picking up. I have some new tech that people are picking up in some way, shape, or form. I did some testing of a new Rhinos list by Rhino aficionado Brittany MTG. Brittany tweeted out uh, her list, 
maybe like just over the weekend. And what this is essentially is a teamer list that ran three main deck Blood Moon and a single copy of Arcane Proxy. And if you forgot what Arcane Proxy is, it's the new seven mana value prototype card from Brothers War. It allows you to exile a spell with mana value less than Arcane Proxy's power. You cast it without paying the mana cost. For seven mana, it's a four three, but the prototype cost is one blue blue. It enters as a two one, and the synergy here, of course, as we mentioned in the spoiler app a few weeks ago, is that this can then cast Crashing Footfalls from your graveyard, as Crashing Footfalls has no mana value. Uh, of course, Arcane Proxy can't cast the first Crashing Footfalls, but after a copy's in your graveyard, it's essentially a redundant Shardless Agent. It puts 10 power on the board for 3 mana. Uh, this is generally a good thing to do, <laughs> and Arcane Proxy is an interesting thing to test in this list. I, it puts more than 10 power on it. Isn't it a 4-3? No, it's a 2-1 it's for the prototype cost. For the prototype cost? Oh, yeah, well, okay. you're not casting yep, this for yep. 7 unless you're you know really fortunate. Got it. No, nah, I just misread the proto- what it is, what its stats were when it's a prototype. Yeah. Okay. And uh, people, including Stan and myself, we've been experimenting with more copies of Cascaders, like a couple Ardent Pleas to increase the opportunities for drawing them, getting more Rhinos on the board more regularly. Uh, Ar- Arceus Dota has had lists with up to 12 cascaders like just a full complement of ardent please as well uh, this of course does create some potential tension of drawing too many and you run out of crashing footballs but like honestly if you're doing that you're probably in a good position but let's say you're concerned or with, you've been surgical extracted yes like i mean let's say you're concerned with that or the potential for all your footfalls to like get countered in a long control game or uh, a, a deck they might have surgical extraction or a deck where they might have like a necromentia effect and you don't draw your leyland of sanctity in your opener like or you just want another two power creature on the board instead of like a the mostly useless enchantment like ardent plea like that's where ardent arcane proxy can come in i think and this also removes the reliance on four or five color mana bases. Like if you want to play Ardent Plea, you're going to be doing at least four colors. And this just allows the deck to move back into straight teamer. So you become less weak to Blood Moon effects. You can play Blood Moon yourself, even in the main deck, like a lot of the teamer players are doing right now to hedge against kind of the decks that are you know, greedy on mana. So what you're saying is that you like this more in the lower mana base versions of Rhinos. And you also like it you like, but so you lose leyline binding in that. Too. Yes. So part of it is that you think that in order to play arcane proxy, you probably want to be in a deck where you're not going to have leyline binding either, right? I I don't I mean I don't know. Like I think you could run this in both. Like I think there's okay. I mean, we're, Stan and I are both running Brazenbauer, and many people are running Brazenbauer, and there are five color list, right? And that's one blue blue to do anything with. So I don't think this is an either right, or. But, but if you're in four color, so you think this is better than um, Ardent, Ardent Plea? Well, I think it certainly can be. Like, I think it really depends on your comfort level with the number of cascaders you want to have running. And then there's some math I'll get into in just a quick second, kind of like, okay, so I have Arcane Proxy. What, what are my odds of drawing that? but not another Cascader, because like if I draw an Arcane Proxy, it's not really an Ardent Plea. It's, mm-hmm. it's Stone Cold Nothing, or it's like a 2-1 you know, for 3, which you don't really want to be casting. I, I think that in my testing, I chose to run two copies of Arcane Proxy. I wanted to see more of the card for my testing purposes, and I think the math is pretty safe, because like, so you know, I busted out the hypergeometric calculator and did the usual stuff, so let's just go, our, our chance of drawing one or more of our, let's say we have eight cascaders in our opener, that's 
pretty good odds. You can mulligan to that pretty aggressively with the, the London Mull. And so let's say you have a single copy of Arcane Proxy. Your odds to draw one of those in your opener is 11.7%. And if you have two copies, it's 22.1%. So that's pretty low, which is kind of what we're hoping for, as we don't necessarily right. we don't necessarily want Arcane Proxy in our opener without another Cascader. So so let's say you want you have one copy of Arcane Proxy and you want to draw one either in your opener or in your like first four cards drawn. So like you're like I want to draw this later in the game. I want to draw one of these uh, so that I have a chance to like flash back one of my copies of Crashing Footfalls. So if you want that in your first four cards drawn or your opener, it's 18.3% with one copy. And if you have two, your chance to draw at least one in your opener or the first cards drawn is 33.5%. So your chance to draw a Cascader and an Arcane Proxy together in your opener is 13.4% with one copy. Um, but after the first four cards, that goes up to 26.8%. So like basically what I'm trying to piece together here is that you're still in pretty good shape to draw one of your normal Cascade cards and then have like essentially another copy of Shardless Agent that can flash back an, another copy from your graveyard, still leaving you three in your deck potentially. And then, you know, you just have a nice density of threats, a nice density of, of 10 power on the board for three mana. And I think overall the math is pretty safe, but I guess the real question is, you know, so what's the advantage here? The advantage I guess is that you get more than eight copies in, in your teamer deck because you, mm-hmm. you don't have to do like the arcane, the, excuse me, the ardent plea stretch. In my experience of playing, I will say that there were times when I drew proxy in an opener that could have been an ardent plea and would have led to a potential keep. But, you know, this deck does mulligan fairly well. So, you know, this is not a deck where you need all seven cards to do what you want to do. You mean mulligans to six and even five, I think, pretty well in certain matchups because you cascade, you make eight to ten power and you're you're blocking, you're attacking, you're doing what you want to be doing. But having Blood Moon in this deck, along with one blue blue, requires you to like fetch double blue, which can be hard. Like I've had proxies, yeah. I did have proxies stuck in hand or Bower stuck in the adventure zone, which is like a weird tension. Like, you know, but it's like you don't need to play Blood Moon on three, but you have to draw your fetch lands. And also comparing Bower stuck in the adventure zone to proxy stuck in hand is kind of different because you may have already gotten part of a card of value yeah, out of Borrower by having it there, right? So it's it's tough, yeah. I mean, so, like, it's like Blood Moon is really good. Sometimes you really do want Blood Moon on three. Uh, it's You can also quickly give away that you're playing Blood Moon, like, when you Cascade and your opponent sees a bunch of your deck sometimes. So, like, it's like the tech is quickly thrown off. So, like, if you don't have a Blood Moon, then it's essentially almost like a valueless pull because your opponent probably starts drawing their basics or playing around it. So that's a little bit weird. Losing access to Leyline Binding is kind of the biggest tension, I think, here. It's definitely a choice. Like, I'm not sure Blood Moon access is worth it right now. I feel like many of the top decks of the format are pretty well insulated against Blood Moon right now. Like Murktide Regent mm. is a fi- is can is totally fine playing around Blood Moon. Rakdos Midrange is a Blood Moon deck. Uh, of course, you you know Burn is not a big deal, but you are gonna of course hurt. You can hurt Hammer pretty well. You can hurt Creativity quite a bit. You can hurt four and five color Omnath if they're not expecting it. But you know I think they will be pretty soon. Amulet Titan, one of our top eights. Yogmoth doesn't love it. 
Domain Zoo certainly doesn't love it. So those are, of course, like, I can't believe Domain Zoo is in the top 10 of modern decks right now, by the way. Oh, boy. So it's not like lights out, and you're making a sacrifice in terms of the way you're getting your mana and things like that, and you're losing Leyline Binding. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, overall, I guess I'm of the opinion that one to two Arcane Proxies can likely find a home in the deck, perhaps even in addition to things like Ardent Plea, like in a more multicolored deck, because, you know, like I said, RKS Dota is playing like 12 copies of Cascade spells right now. So maybe it's one of those things where it's like, hey, I'm running my eight normal Cascaders. Maybe I have like one Ardent Plea and then like two Arcane Proxies. So you have like a really high density of ways to cast the first one, cast the second one, and get some value in that fashion. It wasn't like my new favorite build of the deck, but I definitely saw the possibilities of Arcane Proxy. I just don't know if like it's really worth the risk. Like even though the risk is small, it's like I'm getting two extra power and that might be enough. Like, you know, we do know that Charlotte's Agent does rule, but I don't know. It always does what you want and Arcane Proxy doesn't always do what you want. Yeah. So use the scale. Believe. I'm a believer. Uh, I'm not, okay. I'm not like, you know, it's not just, it's not, it's not literally another Charles agent, but I think it's a perfectly good spell. I think there's ways that people are going to tweak these numbers, tweak these builds, tweak the mana, decide if it's in four or three or five color builds. And, but overall, uh, I was, I liked the card more than I thought, but I liked it kind of only a little bit more than I thought I would. That's fair. That's fair. All right. So now we got to talk about yeah. What do you got? You got, you got one another of deck? my long-running problems. Yes, I have one more deck to talk about before we go. Perfect. One of my long-running issues, Shane, and I've taken some time off from this. I'm coming back to it now, but it wasn't really by choice. What happened was last week, last Christmas, I gave you my heart. <laughs> exactly. I woke up to this tweet from well-known magic player that we love on this podcast, Andrea Mangucci. And the tweet says, back-to-back 5-0 trophies with blue-red prowess. No. Imagine me no. at 6 a.m. getting up to walk the dog and seeing that. <laughs> and go, starting to sweat. Audible, it's audible 20 gasp. degrees outside, and I start sweating. And then <laughs> Marvin, the rest did of his you tweet this? says... Did you read this tweet? Yes. Prowess is... Could it be... The rest of the tweet says, Third Path, Iconoclast, overperformed, better than Sprite Dragon for sure. This deck is capable of turn three kills as well as grinding until turn 10. Very underrated and modern. Thumbs up. Video soon on my YouTube channel. So I read this. I stare into the sun as the sun is coming up. <laughs> and I put my phone away and I walk, move on with my day. And I go, I'm not going to fall for this again. I've tried so many times so many times to bring this deck back. It's the same deck list that I've seen a zillion times, by the way. It's Dragon's Rage Channeler, Monastery Swift Spear, Soul Scar Mage, Lava Dart, Lightning Bolt, all the things you imagine. Andrea has light up the stage here, has four Third Path Iconoclast, four Expressive Iteration, two Underworld Breach, three Mutagenic Growth, a Gut Shot, and four Mishra's Bubbles. <laughs> so it's, it's like a tweak on some things. So you're loving it. But me, my heart leaps, and then I go, no, it can't be. But then... Later, mm -hmm. a few days later, after Thanksgiving at this point, or, or later in the, I love the story, weekend, by the way. I open Twitter, and here's Everett 
with a tweet that says, after watching Mango 09 farm play- modern players with prowess, <laughs> we played this list today on stream and picked up an easy 5-0. Yeah. There are a few different ways to build the deck, and I'm firmly, firmly in the 17 land for Manamorphose. Yeah, interestingly, Andrea did not have any Manamorphose in his list, which is mind-blowing. Yeah, I didn't even wild. consider it when I first read this. And three Underworld Breach camp. Deck's great. Thumbs up. Now I'm just done. <laughs> You're just over the moon. I'm over the moon. I'm like, I'm going to do it. And then later that day, even there's one more tweet a couple of days later on the third from Chris Giglio, who's a player who, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if we've spoken about that much, but is, is on Twitter doing stuff and doing well. Top four to 30 person RCQ with breach prowess, white splash overperformed all day. White splash. Whoa, Jeskai. Okay. Now we're talking about mutagenic growth is cracked in this deck. And I kind of want a fourth copy feels good to play something proactive again december 3rd oh, mutagenic so growth. i had already oh, yeah. started playing the deck by the time i saw chris's tweet but i was like okay there's even more people doing it so here i am again shane here to talk about prowess blue red prowess in modern love it. how do you feel about that you ready I mean, i'm i'm more than ready i'm all ears what you got i played spike stack is what it is so spike stack very simple build i think Four Bobble, four Mutagenic Growth, four Metamorphose, four Lightning Bolt, four Lava Dart, four Soul Scar Mage, four DRC, four Swift Spear, four Iconoclast, three Breach, four Expressive Iteration. Beautiful deck list. The sideboard is even extremely simple. It's four Flusterstorm, four Shattering Spree, three Magus of the Moon, three Reality Hemorrhage. Remember that card? Oh, that's like the colorless little Wrath? Like mini wrath? It's a cult. It's not a wrath. It's colorless shock. That's it. And then Gigantha as a companion. So is what is that um, for? Like for uh, the Invec? Yes, Sanctifier Invec. Yes. Yeah, Sanctifier Invec, and also the core or whatever that you sometimes run into. Sure. The, uh, the oh yeah, Soul core, Herder. Core, yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. So first thing I'm gonna say. I also, the one thing I did was I, I made some changes here and there after I played with Spikes, and I spent some time playing with Brotherhood's End, too, which is a card that's becoming popular for people yeah. at this point, too, I think. Um, but we can talk about that in a minute. But the first card is Third Path Iconoclast. Okay, I've talked a lot of times recently that I don't like Young Pyromancer that much. I don't feel like it works out very often for me where I feel like that really closes the game. However... The change in the clause in this deck... Yeah, any spell. In this particular deck, Any non-creature spell. Makes a huge difference. Yeah, and having it trigger off Bauble is really the key. Also, having it trigger off of Breach when it's cast, honestly, turned out to be a pretty good thing as well. Many games where I had it out, I the tokens kind of did a lot more blocking for me. They played a lot more defense than they yeah, did playing offense I can see that. for me in a lot of ways. But... It really did it, and it felt like a lot of free value, and especially if you can clear the board and still attack with the two-on, which you could do with Young Pyromancer still. Um, this card's good. I think it's easily better than Pyromancer in Modern in a way that matters here, so I felt pretty good playing it. I liked it better than Sprite, Dragon Sprite, just the same way that, uh, or Sprite Dragon, the way that Andre, that Mangucci said. Um, you know, it's not as close to my heart as Stormwing Entity is, and not as powerful as that card, but also that card is dead in the water in modern right now because of the quality removal. So third path iconoclast, I think is a real card. It's a real good card. Um, yeah, maybe we shouldn't be surprised by that. Awesome. Have you played with or against that at all? Oh no, not at all. I've not seen it. Um, okay. I was, I was trying to buy some at the LGS, but they were sold out of, a, of, a, of an uh-huh. uncommon. Yeah. 
Well, I, I opened three boxes of Brothers War, and I only opened three of those. I have six of all the other uncommons. I, uh, that's I always the worst. One more. I know, it's so annoying. Yo, but here, wh- why here's you the real... three boxes of Brothers War? I just did. It's just what I've done. <laughs> My man. You were there for one of them after we played that's a good it point. in... Uh, yeah, you saw me do it in the hotel room in Atlanta. But here's here's the real lead in this deck, though. Underworld Breach in okay. this deck. Yeah, so I've, I, let me interrupt briefly. I, I have played yep. some Underworld Breach prowessy-style decks, and my general... Oh, really? You know, you remember, I think I, I tested something like a while ago, and like my take was kind of like, Underworld Breach kind of sucks early, and... You're not you're um, not getting yeah. a, and you're not getting a huge amount of value late. It's like basically like you know it's typically maybe like a two for one, or if you're really lucky, you can go off with like maybe like a three for one, and like maybe that's good enough. Like a two mana two for one, that's like two triggers or something like that is all you need. So how, yeah. how did you how have you liked it? So I don't think that's a terrible assessment. I think that the big thing is that casting breach to trigger your prowess creatures. And then also using that to trigger some additional triggers with spells out of the graveyard is true. So you usually get th- three ch- prowess triggers and two cards of value out of Breach, I would say, in many situations. Like, that's the, the middle of it. I think there's, like, a few different scenarios here. Like, the obvious one is I play Underworld Breach, and hey, I have two bolts in my graveyard and four mana, so now I'm going to play those again. I'm going to burn you out while I, while I attack, or I'm going to clear out blockers. Like that's, that's the easiest one. Is It's like Breach, Bolt, Bolt, Attack, or Breach, Bolt, Bolt, Deface, and there we go. And it's almost like Finale of... Um, what was the, the red Finale? I forget the name the of finale it. Finale of Promise. That was in Finale of Promise in some ways. The weirdest one is oh, you killed all my creatures, I'm going to breach, and I'm going to play back my creatures out of the graveyard and try to get this party going again. That happens sometimes. It's not the best version of Underworld Breach by a long shot, but that is something that I did a few times just to be able to rebuild my board after our wrath. And then, of course, there's the truly broken things that you can end up doing with Underworld Breach, where if you have fed your graveyard pretty well in the early game with Dragon's Rage Channeler and Fetch Lands and Spells and things like that on the first few turns, you can have a pretty deep graveyard and suddenly you're doing something like um, casting Bauble four times. So you're getting four triggers and drawing four new cards and then swinging in and having Breach go away. And then you suddenly have refilled your hand and put in a huge attack for zero mana basically. So you can do it when you're very short on land if you have a deep graveyard. You can also do something similar where I played a game one time where I cast Mutagenic Growth on my Flying Dragon's Rage Channeler six times in a single turn. That sounds great. To kill somebody. So they tapped out against me. I dropped Breach with only three lands up. Well, yeah. But what are you going to do? It's like turn two. Oh, oh, whoa. Goodness. (laughs) Yeah. So it was turn. So I go to turn three. I had a bunch of, I made a bunch of triggers with Dragon's Rage Channelers played on my first couple of turns. So I had a pretty healthy graveyard. I had two Dragon's Rage Channelers in play. I kept casting Mutagenic Growth over and over again to make my creature bigger and just flew over and hit them. Uh, how do you have three other cards in your graveyard to exile? Well, every time you cast mutagenic growth with a dragon's race channeler in play you get to add two and so if i had you know i had like six cards in there with mutagenic growth i was just kind of netting you know it was only costing me one card net per time that i did it okay you know i i had to bang myself down to four life doing it but killed them sweet so there are kind of infinite things you can do with in low mana situations with these cards 
That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, <laughs> no. did I think it was good or great? I thought it was fine. Like, I'm kind of in the Believe Plus version of this. I just think that this finally showed to me that I should be trying Breach out. I know everybody is trying Breach out yeah. apparently now. Like, like Jess Guy, real Breach, not this Prowess Breach deck. Prowess, yeah, Prowess Breach deck. Um, because it's clear that Underworld Breach is busted and... But I don't think this is the best way to take care to take value from this card. I just think this is a fun way to make this deck good again, competitive again for now, and kind of see where it goes. But I do think that this is a legit aggro deck at the moment. It's just a question of how um, how the mashups line up, things like that. Sweet. So this one I would give a believe plus, but you know clearly Underworld Breach the card itself is a double sleeve. So <laughs> learn how to play that card or play against it, I guess, right now, because it's going to be around. Yeah, this is, this is pretty wild. I mean, I want to go back to briefly to Third Path Iconoclast. And like, as much as I want this card to rule, it's like, you know, it, it makes me think of something like uh, Monastery Mentor, which is, of course, white, three mana, makes prowess tokens instead of like these 1-1 one, one colorless soldier artifact tokens. And it's like, is this on game plan? Like, does it depend on the game? Like, where it's just like, I'm going wide and none of your removal can possibly stop me because, like, if this sticks on the board at all, I'm making, like, a little tiny soldier army. But, like, it, does, yeah. it doesn't feel like it's, like, you know, you have your aggressive cards that are, like, intended to end the game very early. And then you have, like, Iconoclast, which is sort of, like, maybe, like, a, a grindier go-wide card. And maybe they just work in yeah. tandem well enough where it's like, yeah, both is both are fine. Yeah, I think that's what it is. That Prowess has always had the potential ability to be a grindy or need need some ability to be a grindy deck right like originally it was like let's draw cards with light up the stage yeah. and then it was kind of like let's scry cards with stormwing entity and then now it's sort of and this deck has used young pyromancer in the past in the similar capacity as well it just was never as good as as this is mm -hmm. so i think that it being a two mana spell plus the fact that it triggers off of bauble means that it's a kind of a whole new ball game for this thing. And by the way, I didn't mention that the turn that I was killing somebody with mutagenic growth, I had an Iconocast in play as well. As well. Okay. And so I was like, I had like six soldier tokens. So if they managed to kill my guy, I had a full board still there as well that I could swing in with. with. So. Okay. One thing I have to ask Dave, if, if you cast Magus of the moon out of the sideboard, yeah, there's no blue mana sources. Like, are you just like, just, just who cares type thing? Like you make Magus is for decks where you take the blue cards out. Yeah. Like, well, there's eight of them. So like what you're like, you're doing Magus, maybe some Flusterstorm. Not, not Flusterstorm. You're probably doing Shattering Spree and stuff like that. You know, the sideboard for Spice deck isn't super well thought out, but that would be a place where I think you're bringing in Brothers End, Brotherhood's End, and you're, maybe you're bringing in Fury. You're just bringing in whatever cards you have at that point. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, if you were going to bring Magus in and Reality Hemorrhage and then take out everything but two Iconoclast or take out everything but two Expressive Iterations, you just completely have no blue pips anymore, okay. basically. Yeah. Cool. But uh, yeah, I'm not in love with the sideboard in this. Let's talk real quick. So I did a, a second league with this where I tried Brotherhood's End in the sideboard, even though I knew that it would yep. make me not be able to get Gigantha anymore in the games where I brought that in, mostly because I wanted to see if it was any good or any better, made this deck any better against something like Hammer or against like Asmo Food or weird 
combo decks where you're just going to try to, you know, saga decks basically where you don't really have a way to get rid of their giant tokens. I felt like Shattering Spree was a little clunky to be able to do the couple of times that I used it. I think Brotherhood's End's very powerful, but I didn't really get a chance to have it shine in the games that I played. But I I certainly tried, and I feel like it's a good option for even modern, honestly. Yeah, I'm happy. Um, It's definitely a card that's getting some hype for sure. Like it's, it's going up in price. So I'm glad I snagged some, some cheaper and some more yeah. expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So well, I'm glad, I'm glad this is legitimate. All right. Why don't we shut it down here? But I think there's a whole lot more stuff for us to talk about next week. Potentially. Yeah, I can't wait. You know, Stan said maybe what we should do is talk about Jeskai Breach next week, the real breach, the Mox Amber Breach. I feel like maybe we could go one more week on that and talk a little bit more about Brothers War cards because there's some weird things going on on, in particular, a deck from Aspiring Spike using Seren's Steel Seeker, the card that you pointed out during our spoiler yeah, session to make an incredible number of token or uh, triggers might be worth doing. I think there's a lot to talk about with bitter reunion, like I said earlier. So maybe, maybe we'll lean into that a little bit more next week, but never call your shot. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe we'll do something totally different. I would love it. So that wraps up this week's show. Dave, I always love having an episode, even though Stan was here, it's like just us. But if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. You get the latest episodes as soon as they drop. If you use Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review over there. If you use Spotify, you can leave us a five-star rating, I think only on the desktop version. Maybe it's only on the mobile version. I don't know. Like Synergize your features across your, your platforms, my friends. If you'd like to submit a question or reach out to us or tell us uh, you know, just how much you love listening to us in the shower, doing dishes, walking the dog, driving to work, tweet at us at the dive down all one word, or you can email us at the dive down at gmail.com. If you want to support us, you can join the Patreon, become a citizen of the dive down nation over at patreon.com slash the dive down. As always, thanks to mana traders for sponsoring us. You can use the promo code, the dive down, the dive down 10, all one word gets you 10% off your first two months of running magic online cards. Of course, the shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister and Man, M-A-N-N, using code THEDIVEDOWN15 for 15% off your first order. If you want to buy some paper cards at Nerd Rage Gaming, use code DIVE8 for 8% off your order there. Thank you, Nowhere. Thank you, Spaceflood, for letting us use your music. And until next week, be like Stan and finish 10th place at the next NRG Modern 5K! Yeah.